So as you know, earlier this year, Ontario raised the minimum wage by 21% to $14 an hour. A lot of people were calling up 640 Toronto saying, I don't know what we're going to do. There weren't a lot of people calling up saying, yay. It was a lot of business owners that were worried about how this would affect them. And according to a new study released today by the Fraser Institute, an independent, nonpartisan Canadian public policy think tank, um, hmm. The government actually may not be helping out the working poor with this. We're to get a little bit more insight into this study. Charles Lamam is director of fiscal studies at the Fraser Institute and co-author of the study. He's on the show right now. Welcome. Uh, hi, Kelly. Pleasure to be here. Well, thanks for being here. I, I guess maybe we should uh, discuss the study. Um, what were you originally looking to learn with the study, and you know, did you go into it with a hypothesis? Yeah, so we're we're interested in uh, examining the premier, uh, sorry, the former premier's claim, uh, Kathleen Wynne, that by raising the minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour, <clears throat> we're actually going to help uh, the working poor in Ontario. And so that's what motivated us to look into into the data to see if that in fact was the case. And and we found some pretty surprising uh, things when we looked into who actually earns the minimum wage in the province. It turns out that. 91% of all the earners that uh, earn the minimum wage are not part of a low-income household. Um, <clears throat> sounds counter, counterintuitive. They're, they're earning low wages. Why aren't they poor? It, it turns out, uh, Kelly, that the vast majority are not the prime or even the sole income earner in their household. For example, about 60% of all minimum wage earners are young kids between the ages of 15 and 24. You know, they're <clears throat> living at home with their parents, often working a part-time job while they're in school. This is not the working poor as we often think about them. It's really just young kids getting their uh, their first uh, initial uh, job in the labor market. So there's a really big gap between the perception uh, versus the reality of minimum wage earners. And where did you get the stats that would support this? <clears throat> All of this is from Statistics Canada. This is the government agency that collects this uh, this data. And what's really interesting, uh, Kelly, if you go back to 2014, just before uh, the Wynn government uh, made the announcement <clears throat> to, to raise the minimum wage, they had this big panel, a big government uh, panel to look into uh, the minimum wage, and their findings in that panel are largely similar to what we found. They found that most minimum wage earners are not the poor uh, in Ontario, and they found that you know when you raise the minimum wage, you end up creating other uh, unintended consequences. You you make it more expensive for employers to hire young and and, and and inexperienced workers, and the effect of that is that they'll cut back on the jobs, the hours, the benefits uh, that they offer their uh, uh, workers, and they'll shift to things like automation uh, because the the price of uh, labor has gone up. And so, really, there there's two problems with the minimum wage as a policy. The first is that it doesn't actually target the people we want to help, the working poor. And then second, it creates all these other uh, unfortunate consequences. So there's other ways we can help give targeted support to those who need it. Uh, and so that's one of the things that we also cover in our report, uh, more effective measures uh, than the minimum wage. And what would they be? Well, <clears throat> so, you know, there's things like uh, a work-based subsidy. So basically what this is, is a, it's a government transfer program that would target a cash transfer to uh, someone who earns a low wage that's below some 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 measure, whatever that that is, that's deemed to be, 
And so only, the only people that get the wage top up are those that have very low income. And it's better than the minimum wage because it's actually targeting the people we want to help. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only, it's only, the only people that receive it are, are those with very low income. And second, it doesn't create these unintended consequences because it doesn't affect the, the price of labor uh, for, for employers. So there's been evidence um, in the United States that has a similar program. And even in Canada, we have a, a, a federal program that does this, um, that provides this uh, work-based subsidy. And there's been, uh, there's been evidence of it being effective. Uh, it's, it's encouraged people to remain in the labor force by helping, uh, helping top up their income. So there's other ways we can uh, look to help uh, the, the working poor the, that are much more effective uh, than the minimum wage, which really does fall short in so many, uh, so many different ways. Well, it would, lend, it would lead you to question why Kathleen Wynne and that government wouldn't have gone with that. If only 2.1% of all minimum wage earners are single parents with one uh, with yep. the young children. Right. No, certainly. And, and, and again, I wanted just to reiterate that our findings uh, are largely similar. We use the same data as uh, those used by the government uh, report uh, that the Wynn government commissioned. So this is not news to the government. It's, you know, so it does beg the question, why, why does, you know, why does a government pursue these kind of policies when the evidence is really clear that it's not an effective, uh, it's not an effective lever. And look, I, the only thing I can think of, and this is pure speculation, is that, you know, raising the minimum wage doesn't cost anything to the government. There's no, it's no, there's no government program cost associated with it. But, but it plays on people's misperceptions. As you point out, we're often told by activists mm-hmm. when it comes to the minimum wage that, you know, they're all, you know, they're, they're all these single parents. Uh, supporting their families on a, on a single minimum wage, but that's not in fact the case. As you as you rightly point out, it's only two percent. Um, but you know, two percent of four hundred and forty thousand minimum wage earners in the province is not nothing. It's 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 a group that we want to help. But let's talk about <clears throat> alternative policy measures that actually deliver. So really, I, I, my hope is that you know there's an incoming new incoming government uh, in the province. They you know they haven't been exactly clear about what they're going to do with the minimum wage, whether they're going to continue up to 15 at a slower uh, slower rate. But I, I hope that they look at the evidence, consider it, and uh, and you know and take on policies that will actually help the working poor. Well, Charles, I appreciate you being on the show today to talk about your study and the results here, because I'm sure a lot of people have been looking at uh, at Doug Ford, wondering uh, what he's going to do when he uh, finally becomes our premier, which won't be mm-hmm. long now. Yep. Well, thank you very much, Kelly. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate the time. It's Charles uh, Lamam, Director of Fiscal Studies at the Fraser Institute and co-author of the study, 91% of minimum wage earners in Ontario don't live in low-income families. They're living at home with their folks.